Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you loved us enough to give us your word. It is a real privilege to have the Bible, to have your rules, how we are to live, right before us here this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us your word. But Lord, we dare ask this morning that you may give us help in understanding it. Because even though we have it before us, we have feeble and foolish minds, O Lord, tainted by sin. And when we are confronted by your word, we often misunderstand what it is saying or we don't like what it is saying. Lord, help us to have much of your Holy Spirit's guidance this morning so that when we look at your word together, we profit from it rather than are hindered through the reading of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jill and myself, uh, we're looking quite forward to moving into Kennedy House uh, down the road. In many ways, Kennedy House has been built for Jill and myself. Uh, Jill has been able to choose many aspects of the house. I could have, but I um, assigned that task to Jill and delegated it. Uh, so she has chosen things like the colours of the walls. Uh, she has chosen things like um, the, the kitchen and the, the bench top and the tiles uh, that are going on the floors. And she's even had the privilege of choosing the built-ins, what she wants uh, in regards to the built-ins and how they're going to be built for her, and the wardrobes in the, in the rooms. And I continue to remind her of what a privilege this is that many ministers don't get to choose uh, different aspects of the manse. It is a, a, a wonderful privilege for a minister's wife to be able to choose uh, how uh, the home that she will live in is built. Building houses is something that many of us do. We may not physically do it, but we assign the cash uh, so that people will build it for us. And so we have many houses in our lands that are, are built by humans. But there are other houses that are built around us that aren't built by us. Animals also build houses. I was always fascinated as a child with beavers and how they are able to build their own homes and build dams. Uh, it's a, quite an amazing thing that God has uh, blessed the, uh, the beavers with this ability. And also birds... Around us there are many trees and in those trees uh, the birds don't just perch on a branch and stay there, they actually build nests, they build their own homes there. So it's not just humans that build, it is animals and birds as well, and God. God builds houses as well. In the Old Testament we see his house being built. His instructions are given to David as to how to build the temple and then he assigns people with the gifts and the abilities to be able to build that house for him. He builds houses, and he builds one house in particular there in the Old Testament. But God also is building a new house. The old temple is not there anymore. It has been destroyed, and it hasn't been rebuilt. God instead has a new house, is what the scripture tells us. God is building a new house. How is he building a new house? Well, that's my first main point this morning. Christians are part of God's new house. Christians are part of God's new house. Now, how are Christians part of God's new house? Well, Christians are part of God's new house by being built upon Jesus. That is what Peter is trying to tell us in these verses that we're looking at this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 looking at verse 4 through to verse uh, verse 6 this morning. 
If you've got a Black Church Pew Bible, it's there on page 1201. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, tells us that Christians are part of God's house by being built upon Jesus. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by him but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. We as Christians are part of God's new house because we're built upon Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of the church. And every house has some sort of foundation. And generally it is made up of rock. These days we have one big concrete slab. But previously, particularly in Jesus' time, in the time of the apostles, you'd get one big rock. That was the cornerstone. And it bore the weight of the house. And it was often the way that people uh, built the house as well. So it was a perfectly angled and the whole house was built in line with the cornerstone. So if the cornerstone was dodgy and at funny angles, you would end up building in a, a skew and the house would be unsound. If the cornerstone was unsound, the house itself was unsound. And in God's house, the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. He is the one that supports the whole church. He is the one that bears the weight of their sins so that they can be part of his house. He is the one from which the building grows. We take our cues from Jesus Christ and build according to him as the cornerstone, just as they used to build houses by looking at the angles of the cornerstone. We look at the angles of Jesus Christ and say, we're going to build like he wants us to build. But is Jesus an appropriate choice? Should he be the foundation of God's new house? Well, many people don't think so. And the text tells us that as well. What does it say there? Verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men. Rejected by men. Many people reject Jesus as the foundation for God's house. They reject him. And we see that in the pages of the New Testament. When Jesus is in the world, do many people flock to him and put their trust in him and stay with him? Well, we see lots of people come to listen to him. But at different times when he says hard things, everyone sort of deserts him and leaves him. And then when he goes to the cross, is anyone there on trial with him? No, he's alone as he is being rejected by all those people who heard him, and then he's being rejected by the chief priests and the Pharisees as they put him on trial. They put him on trial, they test him, and they say, not good enough. This guy is not the Son of God. This guy is not the Christ. He is not the Messiah. He is not the Saviour that is to come. We are rejecting him. He is not the stone upon which God's house should be built. But God knows better than man. He is wiser than man and he knows that Jesus is the foundation for his house, that he is the one that should be chosen. 
And we see that by what it says about him there. It says it's re- he's rejected by men in verse 4, but chosen by God. He is chosen by God to be the foundation of his house. Why? Why is Jesus the foundation that should be for God's house? Well, one reason is given to us in the text in verse 4. Before it says rejected by men, what does it say there? Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone. Jesus is the only one who has true life in him. Every other man that ever walked this earth is dead in their sins. Every other man has sin. Jesus is the only one who is truly alive. He is the living stone. And so he is the best foundation to have a temple on, to have God's house. Because he's not like the old temple, made of dead stones, and so could be destroyed like it was and is no more. Jesus, with the new house, is an eternal stone. He will go on and on forever. We don't have to worry that Jesus will someday be removed with us as part of his house and be destroyed and a new house will come along. No, Jesus is the foundation for the last house, the house that will always be because it will go on and on for eternity. He will not crumble away and die under you. He is alive. And so he is the best foundation for God's house. And the other reason we know that he is so good to be the foundation stone is because the other word that's used to describe him there in the text is precious. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. Jesus is precious. Even though people may reject him, that doesn't say anything about him. That says something about the people who reject him. Jesus is truly precious. What does it mean to be precious? Well, it means that you, are, uh, that you have something that is unique, something that is rare. And so we have precious stones, and they're precious because they aren't like gravel that we use on our driveways. They're very rare, and they're precious. And it's the same with Jesus. He is very precious because he's so rare. He is extremely rare because he is the only Jesus. He is the only one who has never sinned. He is the only one who is truly alive. He is more precious than anything else that we can describe as precious. He is truly precious and he's precious particularly to God because he is God's one and only son. It wasn't like God had many sons that he could send to die. And so it wasn't too big a deal for God to send Jesus because he's got other ones. No, he had one and only begotten son and he sent him to be that cornerstone to do the job that no one else could do. So Jesus is a true foundation for us to build upon. He is the appropriate choice for God. He is chosen for us because he is the choice one. It's like um, the the surfers, to say something is really good, you say it's choice, it's choice, mate. Well, Jesus is truly choice. He is the chosen one. And he is the best foundation for us to build upon as his church, as his building.
So how do you have Jesus as your foundation? He is the best one to build upon. It's quite clear in the text. How do you do that? How do you have him as your foundation? Well, verse 6 tells us, For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, that's God speaking, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Do you want to build upon Jesus Christ? Do you want to be part of his house, of his building? Then you need to trust in Jesus. That's all you need to do. Trust in him for your sins. And then you become alive, just like he is alive. It's amazing. What does it say there in verse 5? You also like living stones. You become alive as well. When you trust in Jesus, you come to life. The deadness of your sins is stripped away. And you are alive again when you trust in Jesus. That's all you need to do. Nothing else. Simply believe that he died for your sins. And how do you stay building on him? You may have trusted in him and you say, oh, but... What if I wander off? How do I stay with Jesus? Well, you stay trusting in him and you live holy lives. You live spirit-filled lives. Because it's not just any house that God is building. What sort of house is he building? It says, verse 5, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. When we become a Christian, we put our faith and trust in Jesus, but then we should see evidence in our lives that we have the Holy Spirit's power within us, that we live holy lives, that we change from sinning to doing what is right. We no longer do what is wrong and evil. We do what is good. We live according to God's laws instead of living according to our own ways. Now, that doesn't save us, but it's part of what the house looks like. If you want to know whether you really are trusting in Jesus and built into his foundation, well, then you should see that you are spirit-filled by the way that you live. Now, I want to tell everybody in this room this morning that you are part of a building. You are either part of God's building or you're a part of some other building built upon the lies that Satan feeds us. What sort of lies does Satan use as his foundation to, for people to build upon? Well, the big lie that pretty much all religions teach is the lie that good works save you, that if you are a good person, all the wrong that you do will be outweighed and you will be okay. Whereas the Bible tells us that your good works are tainted by sin and that every time you do something wrong, it doesn't matter how many good works you do to replace that. You've done one thing wrong, you need to be punished. And if God doesn't punish you, he's an unjust God. You're meant to be good all the time. When you slip up once, you've slipped up and deserve to be punished. You can't say, oh, I'll be good in the future and it'll be okay. No, you're meant to be good in the future, you're meant to be good in the past, you're meant to be good in the present. It doesn't matter how good you are, if you've done one thing wrong, you deserve to be punished. But all other religions say, when you do something wrong, if you do a good thing, it'll be okay. That your good works can save you. That is the lie that Hinduism teaches. That is the lie that Buddhism teaches. That is the lie that Islam teaches. That is the lie that many Christian cults, so-called Christians, teach as well. Jehovah's Witnesses. If you go around, knock on doors, you will outweigh your bad things. 
Mormonism, if you do these good things, that will outweigh your bad things. The lie that most people build their lives upon is that if they are not as bad as the next person, they will be okay because they've done some good things in their life. And that is building upon the lie of Satan. And the other lie that is very popular today, particularly in Western culture, that people build upon, have as their foundation, is that this life is all there is. This is a lie that is propagated by the theory of evolution, that we are just a series of steps of evolving creatures, and that when we die, we go back into the ground and a worm food and go back to the dust that we were. There is no afterlife at all. And that is a lie of Satan. But many people build themselves upon that lie and they think that they will be okay because there is no afterlife. If they just live for themselves now, everything will be all right. But what does it matter? Does it matter that you just enjoy this life now and you die and that's it? Does it matter that you build your life upon the lie of your good works will save you? Well, it does matter because one day you'll be put to shame if you use that as your foundation. What does the text say? Verse 6. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. If you build yourself upon the lies of Satan, you will be put to shame, is what the text is saying. The opposite of what it says is, those who build upon Satan and his lies, they will be put to shame. Now, we don't know so much about shame in our culture. Uh, certain cultures, they make a big deal of public shame, and that is how they get people uh, to follow different laws. We have it to some extent in our culture that we are ashamed of certain things, but not by far as our parents were or our grandparents were of what they did with their lives. But we still have some concept of the fact of shame. We know what it's like to be proven to be in the wrong. We know that red feeling that comes to our face as we blush and we realise that people are looking at us and seeing that we've done something really stupid, something really dumb, and we're ashamed of it. And that's what Peter is saying will happen to those people who build upon the lies that Satan feeds you. If you build on anything other than Jesus Christ, you will be put to shame. On the last day when Jesus comes, all those people who have built upon their good works will see their lives evaporate and everything is burnt up and they see that they are without anything other than a huge debt against God and they will be put to shame and they will be put to shame for eternity in hell, ashamed of what they have done in building themselves up upon that lie. And those people who think that this life is it and that there is no future, they will certainly be put to shame. When Jesus returns, they will be very ashamed of what they have done, that they did not consider what God says in his word about what is to come. They will be very ashamed that they did not pay better attention 
and that they were so foolish to think that this life is all there is and to believe those, the theory of evolution that we're just animals that have come through chance and time. But the Christian, the one who builds upon Jesus, he will never be put to shame because on that last day when Jesus returns, God's people, his church, his building that has been formed here on earth with the living stones of Christians, they will be welcomed into heaven. And instead of being shamed and having to say, oh, I really did the wrong thing, they will be able to say, we did the right thing. And God will say, you did the right thing. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. You trusted in him. And so you have nothing to be ashamed of. So if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, what are you building your life upon? I encourage you to consider that you're building your life upon the lies that Satan has fed your head. Don't do it. Trust in Jesus. Never be put to shame. When he returns, be welcomed into heaven by the one who says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, that's one illustration that I want to look at this morning. But Peter has two illustrations here for us in the text that I want to examine. The first one was about the building. The other one is about the priesthood. In the Old Testament, God, God built a house, but he also had servants in the house. And since these two concepts are so closely aligned in the Old Testament that God has his temple and God has his priests looking after the temple... The question then asked, we would want to say, is if God has replaced the temple with a new temple, with God's people, what about the priests? What happens with the priests? Does God have new servants? Does he have priests? And Peter says yes. Just as God had an old building and now he has a new building, he had an old priesthood and now he has a new priesthood. And who are the people of the priesthood? Well, just like Christians are part of the building, my second main point is that Christians are part of God's new priesthood. We have Jesus as the great high priest, but all Christians are priests. And this is where Roman Catholicism stumbles. They still have a priesthood. They still have people who are able to dispense grace. And that people don't come to God directly, they come through a person, through a priest. And Roman Catholicism stumbles with the building as well about what Christ's church is built upon. They say it's built upon Peter. But here Peter himself had said it's built upon Christ. The cornerstone isn't Peter, the first pope. No, it's built upon Jesus. And Peter also tells us that we are all priests if we are Christians. You don't need to go to someone to have access to God to have access to Jesus, you go straight to him yourself. When you put your faith and trust in him, when you believe in him and pray to him, you don't need to go to a priest because you are a priest. If you have your faith in Jesus and are a Christian, you are part of the priesthood. What does it say there in the text? As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You are a holy priesthood if you are a Christian. You are priests of God. 
Now, how do you function as a priest? You saw that as a building, you function by having Jesus as the foundation. How do you function as a priest? Well, there's a few things given to us in the text. The first thing, of course, that a priest does is comes to God. Verse 4, as you come to him. What did the priests do in the Old Testament? They were the ones who drew near to God. They were the ones that had access to the holy of holies, that could go right in, that could be there in the presence of God, that could do things that other Israelites couldn't. Is that the case for Christians, that there are the privileged people who can draw near to God, but the unprivileged Christians who are still behind and still don't have access to God like everybody else? No. With the new priesthood, everybody has access to God. Everybody comes to him. The other thing that we see that priests do is offer sacrifices. Offer spiritual sacrifices. Verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Priests in the Old Testament, what was most of their job? It was offering sacrifices. Day after day, offering sacrifices at the temple to God. With the new priesthood, what happens with sacrifices? Well, they're still offered. But it's not a sacrifice that removes sin. That sacrifice is offered by our high priest, Jesus Christ himself. No, it's ongoing spiritual sacrifices as we... Do what God wants us to do. Do his will. Keep his laws. Those are sacrifices that we make. We sacrifice our time. We sacrifice our money to do things that God wants us to do. And they're called spiritual sacrifices. So when we come together and we praise God in song, that is a sacrifice that we are making to God. It doesn't cleanse our sins, but it is something that goes up to God as fragrant and pleasing in his eyes. When we pray to him, in Revelation, there's this bowl that the the people ask, what's in that bowl? And it's the prayers of the saints. It's incense up there. Every prayer you offer, think about it, is kept by God and is a sacrifice that is pleasing in his eyes. Every time you read the Bible and study it, you're offering a sacrifice to God. In fact, everything you do with your life, if you are doing it to the glory of God, is a sacrifice to him. Every day that you get up at, what, 7, 8 a.m. to go to work, spend all day there, you work hard, you say another day, another dollar, and you say, what a waste of my life. No, it's a sacrifice to God. You're being productive with your life. You're making usefulness of your life. It is a sacrifice to God. It is not another day, another dollar, a dollar that you will lose when you die. Every day that you work hard at work and do it to the glory of God and are useful in this world instead of being lazy, that's a sacrifice that God is keeping a record of and is pleasing in his eyes, just as those Old Testament sacrifices were pleasing because they were what God had commanded them to do. When you go to work, you are doing what is right and pleasing to God. You are functioning as a priest. People at work may think it's a bit funny if you say, what are you doing? They say, what are you doing now? And you say, I'm being a priest and offering a sacrifice by working hard on the computer. So I probably wouldn't say it to them. 
but it could stimulate some sort of conversation with them. But that's what you're doing. You're there as a priest at your computer offering a sacrifice. That's what you're supposed to do if you're part of the priesthood of God. But aren't your good works corrupted? Didn't I say before that good works are corrupted and that they're not pleasing to God and that they'll be stripped away? Well, if they're offered on your own basis, yes, they are. But if they're offered on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice, then they are pleasing to God. That's what the text says. Verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. Full stop? No. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because of his sacrifice at the cross, your slate is wiped clean. You are a new person. You have no sin to your account. And so what you do with your life is pleasing and good in God's eyes. Through the strength of Jesus Christ, it is offered on the basis of Jesus as him as your foundation. So just as if you build a life of good works based on the lie of of Satan that you will be safe, those can be stripped away. But just as if you build your life upon Jesus as your foundation, then it is good in God's eyes. So it is with sacrifices as a priest. That if they're based upon the work of Jesus... They are pleasing and acceptable to God. He receives what you do. Think of that. Every day that you go through the drudgery at work, it's acceptable to God because of what Jesus has done. If Jesus hadn't come into this world, it wouldn't be acceptable. And it would just be another day, another dollar. And it'd be a big waste of time because it'd all be burnt up at the end. But because of Jesus Christ, it's not another day, another dollar. It is pleasing to him. So do these two illustrations apply to you? Are you a living stone in God's spiritual house? Are you founded upon Christ because you have trusted in him? Do you continue building on him with a life governed by the Holy Spirit Is the house that you're a part of a spirit-filled house? Will you never be put to shame? And do you rejoice in that fact, if that is you? That there's nothing that can make you ashamed because you are in Jesus Christ. And do you function as a priest? You may not wear the long robes and have a long beard and have the funny thing on your head, but you are a priest, are you? Are you cleansed from sin because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? And do you draw near to God and offer spiritual sacrifices day after day? Your life is governed by him and so everything you do is a sacrifice to him. And do you remember that the good that you do in this world is only acceptable to God, is only an acceptable sacrifice because of Jesus' sacrifice that comes first? that cleanses you from your sins. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you did not leave us to die in our sins, but that you bring us to life through Jesus Christ as our firm foundation upon which we are being built into a spiritual house 
Lord, I thank you so much that you have given life to so many people in this room. We pray that they may live spirit-filled lives to you and be a wonderful spiritual house so that they are never put to shame. Lord, if anyone here has built upon something other than Christ, may they be ashamed of it right now in their hearts. May they confess it to you, repent of their sins, and trust in Jesus for the first time. And Lord, help us to function as priests, to live holy and pleasing lives to you, and offer sacrifices built upon that one fabulous sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Help us to remember that any good we do is only through Jesus Christ. It is not of ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.